you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL podcast is hoping to have its fifth-year option picked up. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by Head & Shoulders. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined by a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler to my left, Greg Rosenthal to my right. What's up, boys? Forget hoping for the fifth-year option. This is it. This is the fifth year. It's starting. Week one. The fifth year of our flagship program, Sunday Night Recaps. We're here, Mark. Another year for you and I, Mark. Our seventh year here at the NFL and our fifth year doing this little shebang. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand this fifth-year option talk. Either we've got an extended deal at this point or you pull the plug tonight before we wrap the show. Yeah, let us Let's know. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Because if I knew they were hanging that over us, I would have staged a holdout of some kind, made a huge stink, worked with the media back channels with different insiders, and caused a, a whole ruckus. Right. What? <laughs> I mean, we've built up this Sunday night show to the point, speaking to my mom this morning mm. on her 50th wedding anniversary, shout oh. out to the Rosenthal's. She called it. Well, right. I'll, I'll listen to your flagship show tomorrow. She called it the flagship uh, show. Deb Rosenthal nice in a big spot. Well done. Congratulations to the Rosies. That's a nice – that's an incredible achievement. What is that? Silver? I believe so. Uh, it may even be more than that at this Might point. Might be golden. You got to plug in on this one, Greggy. What right. you, I'm assuming you purchased a gift. Got some flowers. You know they're going to be here. This. I mean, beyond flowers, I'm sure you did something sure. to to marvel and show well, your appreciation. I just for, gave her a shout out father. on uh, one of the best podcasts All right. around. That has very little cachet. Let's get back. Let's get back on script because that's why it's the Sunday flagship show because we talk about every game that occurred on Sunday in this week one uh, from the early kickoff straight through Sunday night football. Uh, the Giants and the Cowboys and Jarrow World. And it was a it was a week one, gentlemen, uh, where there were some surprises. There always are. Uh, but also maybe not as not as much sizzle. Uh, maybe I was expecting some fireworks, some crazy things happening. There was things to learn, but it wasn't blown away. Let's put it that way. Felt that way. But I also would point to the fact that we have two Monday night games that look enticing. And these weeks when they start a little slow, usually round out with a lot of drama late. Well, it was um, the most one-score games in NFL history last year, and there were only, out of the early games, you know, before the Sunday night game, only three one-score games. So there weren't a lot of close finishes, as you mentioned. All right. So we got so much to get to, we should just do it. Um, so, Erica, by the way, welcome to your first flagship program. Any butterflies? Uh, sure. A couple. Erica's still dead inside after Thursday night's results. <laughs> He's doing okay? I'm doing fine. All right, good. I like that I find that if you get snarky with her on Twitter about the Patriots, she will come right back at you with fire. Oh, she's LC. All right, Erica, let's get into the action. Another season's here. There's glory in the legends of this hard muscle life, and there's poetry in each season made of sweat and strife. Winds whisper of high hopes. Victory is in the skies. A season awaits with glory in her eyes. One joins with many on summer's green field. Time to strive, to dare, for all not to yield. Now, that doesn't get you excited. Slightly overdramatic, but I'll accept it. <laughs> Let's settle down just a little bit, sir. Again, Facenda. I love Facenda. In the I'm ground, good. cannot defend himself. Well... Beautiful work by John Fasenda and Sam Spence, of course, with the music. Classic stuff. All right. Okay, we can get rid of it. As much as I respect it, <laughs> like Mark. It has its time. All right, let's get into it, and we'll start with a game at Lambeau Field, pitting two NFC superpowers against each other once more. Now the Packers are going to catch with too many guys in the field. Rodgers takes the snap. The flag does come in, so Rodgers has a free shot, and he throws it over the middle and completes it in the end zone to Jordy Nelson. A 32-yard strike. Touchdown, Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers' third 
quarter touchdown hookup with Jordy Nelson gave the Packers some breathing room and Green Bay swarming defense did the rest. A 17-9 to win over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, guys, this is a game that could have huge playoff ramifications down the line. And appropriately, it had that feel of January football. Uh, two great teams going at it. Um, the defenses certainly seemed like they were ahead of the offenses in this game. Maybe if this game was played a couple of months from now, it'd be a little different, the feel of it. But this was about defense. But at the, en- at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers made the plays he needed. And that's now three straight wins for Rodgers over the Seahawks in as many years. Greg, uh, what were your takeaways from this game? A really good game, maybe not a classic, but a nice game to start the season. That the last time we saw the Packers' defense, they were getting filleted in back-to-back playoff performances. And they worked hard to shore up that secondary, but it was really the front seven. And the last two guys that got big-time extensions from the Packers, Mike Daniels and Nick Perry, were dominating this game. I think Connor Orr put in our write-up, and and I totally agree. Mike Daniels deserves the game ball. I mean, he wrecked this Seattle offensive line, but you have to wonder about who was on the other side of the field. After hearing nonstop about what the Seahawks offensive line is going to do all offseason, they had a a worst-case scenario performance and really didn't give their team a chance to win. I come out of this concerned for Seattle because the offensive line – has been an issue forever, and it held them back last year, and it also it curtailed Russell Wilson's season in terms of his health. Though, Seattle year after year seems to figure themselves out on offense about a month into the season, if not later sometimes, completely yeah. shifting their identity by mid, mid-year mid at, at, some, at some cases. So do we really take away from this anything other than it's a, it's a rugged, rugged loss on the road for a team that we trust to bounce back? Uh, I don't put too much into the loss. It was hard fought, and they just came out, out on the losing end. Three years ago, um, I believe it was three years ago, I was in Seattle for their kickoff game against the Packers. That was in uh, Century Link Field, and it was the same type of vibe where it's like it's kind of like you're a little torn because it's a great game to start the season, and that was the first game of the game uh, season period on Thursday night. But at the same time, these two teams, if they finish tied now, uh, atop the standings in terms of one loss in the NFC, the an NFC title game could be in Lambeau Field, right. and they and now the the Seattle Seahawks have to actually finish ahead of them by a full game in the standings to to finish out ahead in a tiebreaker scenario. You almost wish this game's a little deeper in the season when the teams are a little more worked out because it has so much on the line. It it does, but the Seahawks are a team as Mark mentioned that tries to figure things out. This isn't just a bad offensive performance. I mean, they had about 25 yards through their first five drives. I mean, they couldn't... Five op- punts to open the game. Right. They, they couldn't operate an offense at all. I think the better team ended up winning. Even though it was close in the score, the Packers were doubling them up in terms of yard yardage. I think the Packers had to be a little worried about their offensive line, but the good news for them is David Bakhtiari, who is very noticeable by his absence, you know, will be back. He'll, he'll help shore up that line. I think the, the fact that the Packers could move the ball when they absolutely needed to late in the game and have some sustained drives, they have to feel really good that they can win these types of games. I wonder, you know, one of the questions for Seattle, they didn't have Thomas Rawls this week, was how the backfield would shake out. And it looks to me like Eddie Lacy does not have a major role in this team at all. Mm. He should have had – if he doesn't have a major role in this game, it makes you wonder how high they really are. I mean, Chris Carson, the rookie, is getting more action than him. Russell Wilson leads the team in rushing today. Right, it, right. Uh, Thomas Rawls was inactive for this game. We didn't know that going into it. And I, I do believe that uh, Chris Carson ended up getting more snaps than Lacey. Lacey had seven snaps in this game, and we didn't hear that he was – Hurt. Maybe something else will come out, but that that's troubling. So you have a couple of things working against you if you're Russell Wilson now. You have no protection, and you are figuring out the running game as you go. Maybe the Packers' defense is better than we think. They certainly have talented players up front, but that, that's a tough way to start. All right, boys. Let's move on. Carr going to throw for the end zone. Touchdown! Raiders! Seth Roberts popped it right away as they quick-snapped him. Came back up on the ball, and Seth Roberts does it again in Music City. And they ran four verticals that time, partner. You watch all the receivers going out, not waiting on the backside throw. Seth Roberts right on the second level beats the Tennessee Titans for a touchdown. Now, I'm not saying that is uh, worthy of a top 10 calls of 2017. Far from it, I would hope. But, Erica, uh, Loose Cannon, you're new to the show. Uh, we got to track these. 
whatever great calls from the ra- we like going with the radio calls because we like the local guys some of them are literally insane people yes and we lean on that insanity and we thrive on it that lean that and thrive yeah, as, as a clip that was not a top 10 clip but that Raiders call that oh, yeah, was that's, spicy that's that was Papa. week one that's spice. Papa that's Papa at his best it's Papa being Papa hi <laughs> Papi Derek Carr threw two touchdowns, including the go-ahead score you heard to Seth Roberts as the Oakland Raiders went on the road to beat the Tennessee Titans. You heard me. 26-13 in Nashville. Greg, uh, this felt like an opportunity for the Titans to announce themselves as an AFC power player, but the Raiders instead gave everyone a reminder that they're already in the club. They, They are, and they're a year ahead of the Titans in their development. And I thought this was a really well-played game. Some sloppy performances around week one. A lot of people complaining. Go go watch this game. It wasn't a barn burner at the end because the Raiders were too good and they put it away. But these were two really good teams, very evenly matched. But the difference is the Raiders have been there. And these were this is kind of the win we were looking for last year a lot of times where the Raiders didn't convincingly win. It felt like they got a little lucky. This was complete. And the two guys that they added on offense – Marshawn Lynch and Jared Cook could make a huge difference. This was already a great offense, and they upgraded at two positions of need. I thought Marshawn Lynch looked fantastic. I was going to say, does he look like Marshawn Lynch of 2000, let's say, 14? Yes. The numbers didn't pop off in terms of the, the box score. I think he got almost 100 yards from scrimmage, so very solid. But he's breaking tackles. He got a fourth and uh, short on near the goal line where most running backs would have been taken out. He ran over Jarrell Casey, who's 305 pounds, and just knocked him back on a uh, totally different play. I thought he looked great. He's the guy Seattle could have used today. Yeah. Because he looked to me it's a great point. like the youthful runner of four or five years ago, not just the guy from two seasons ago in Seattle. And they tried to give him some rest. He, he you know, was out every third Smart. drive or so. They used DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard a lot. And yet at the end, when they needed to close the game out, they went with Lynch and they killed the clock and they basically turned a really good game into a sleeper just because they held on to the ball. And, you know, I kind of kid, but I- I'm serious. You know, Tennessee, it was, it was a whole offseason. There's so much football to play. Obviously, I'm not saying now the Titans are done or something. But, you, you know, you're at home, and you're starting a season, and you, it's been talked up a lot that they're now ready to make this big play. And then you let Big Brother come in and take care of business. It's disappointing. You have to be disappointed as a Titans fan. I am annoyed because I thought that Tennessee would see this as a comprehensive statement game. Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, you did lock this one up. I locked this up. I would say that I locked it up. You know, you could not do less of a, of a positive you job the out gate. of the gate in week yeah. one than to latch onto a team that ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, listen, the one thing you could say about Tennessee is they're not going to meet the Raiders every week. The deadbolt did not turn. It did not turn. There were a lot of positives. Corey Davis was out there. Looked good. Overall, I think they were fine. Who do they got next week? I'll put you guys on the spot. Does anybody know? Gotta, I can find that out for win, you in about one a, second, baby. Yeah, you got to win a ball game next week. Next week, the Patriots. No, I'm kidding. They do not have the <laughs> Patriots. They have well. They have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then after that, they had the Seahawks and the Texans. That's and I know, I know, we got to move on. But one last thing, my, you know, one game ball today goes to Giorgio Tavecchio, the new Raiders kicker. Get excited! The first Italian-born player in the NFL in more than 40 years. He put the opening kickoff through the uprights. You don't see that too often. He hit <laughs> two 50-yarders, first time in NFL history a rookie kicker ever did that. There has the been a game. lot of I, an understatement. <laughs> Stated anti Seabass sentiment coming from Greg, and I think it's because he's the last player from that Tom Brady draft class, and Greg wants zero competition. He wants him out of there. I'm telling you, this kid was booming it. All right, well, Seabass will probably not be coming back this year, but Greg, I thought that game ball was going to go to Tony Romo. I thought you were saying oh, that way. I forgot about that. Maybe we'll save it for Tuesday, but you were very happy with Tony that. Romo's already one of, if not the top color analysts in the mm. business. Love them. Look at that. I can't mm. wait to watch this game and uh, see if I concur with you or violently disagree. Let's keep moving. Could be the last play of the game. Fourth and goal. Four on the play clock. Snap to Glennon. He'll step up. In trouble. Brooks Reed sacks him. Brooks Reed gets another sack. And Atlanta's going to win for the first time since 1983 at Soldier Field. The Falcons got the type of stop they could not manage at the end of Super Bowl 51, and Matt Ryan led two fourth-quarter scoring drives. The result, a 23-17 road win over the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. Mark Sessler, this was not easy, but the Falcons found a way to finish. 
putting just a little more distance between themselves and the events of the first Sunday in February. They did, and an uncomfortable and, uh, you know, I'd say disturbing finish for Bears fans. You have first and goal at the Falcons' five, and you've hung in a game that many people thought would have equate to a massive slaughter in week one. <laughs> and quite the opposite. They hung around. You've got three shots at the end zone, three straight incompletions, and it was not on Mike Glennon and this final chance here. Not. His wideouts, and that's a, you know an area of weakness for the, for the Bears, could not get the job done. They had their hands on these passes and dropped them. Mark knows it. I know it as a Jets fan. The difference between good teams, average teams, and bad teams is that any – any, any little bit of playmaking ability when it really counts, and they could have easily scored twice, maybe even three times in that final drive, and nobody could make a play when it counted. And 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 the end end game, Greg, is the Falcons get a little bit lucky. Let's be honest. If if somebody steps up and makes a play, you're staring at a dreadful 24-23 loss and a week of being told, uh, or oh, the Falcons, you know, uh, do they have something wrong with them emotionally? Oh, they yeah. can't close that. Instead, they get to not worry about that and keep moving at 1-0. Well, we've said we expect their offense to come back to the pack, and they have 370 yards. I think it gives some credit to the Bears' defense, who's gonna, which is going to be better than we expect, but these were games last year that they won a little easier. I think last year, and there are always these teams that they suddenly just completely hit and find their groove and move into this sort of, they shift into this unstoppable mode. And you can't ask Atlanta to do that year after year. They're not that team. They look more like the Falcons of a couple years ago. And what, what do we see from Mike Lennon? I thought Glennon, like, listen, they, 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 what they have, what they have in their arsenal is a fascinating pair of running backs, and Jordan Howard and the rookie Tariq Cohen, My who guy, was Tariq. electric today, was absolutely electric. Mike Lennon is is hindered by the fact that they have no weapons for him to throw to. But he was not a disaster today. It was not the Glennon that we would have put into a, a game script where suddenly they're going to be calling for his job. This was not on him alone. Like it's it's good and bad news that Tariq Cohen is your leading receiver and your leading rusher. I think they found something. But yeah. it's it's also you want more playmakers. Kevin White, who was a top ten pick, is gonna miss the rest of the season. Uh, and oh, and you have to wonder what his career leads to after this. That's at least the expectation. They believe he he suffered a broken collarbone, according to our NFL Network insider uh, Ian Rappaport. He's played five career games, and they're gonna be starting. You know, jo- Josh Bellamy and Deontay Thompson and Kendall Wright. That's tough. Do you like their defense? I think Chicago could could win off. You know, win six seven games this season. I do. And I it, listen. If you are an every show listener of the around the NFL podcast, you could have Tariq Cohen on your roster right now. Mm. We told you, be on the lookout for this guy, and he went over 100 total yards. He's a nice little weapon for him. Let's see if they can build off that because that gives him a nice little tandem back there. Uh, but no win on Sunday. Let's keep moving. Stafford up under center, single back is Amir. Matthews got it, fakes to give to Amir, sets deep in the pocket, wants to throw, does deep downfield, wants Galladay inside the 10, dive, did he make the catch? Oh, he did! Oh, rookie, you are something special! Touchdown, Detroit Lions! Like that! 45 yards on the connection! Holy smoke, he laid out to make the catch! That is something else! And you Golden got, Tate just got down on his hands and knees and did a we're hosanna. We're not worthy. <laughs> Matthew Stafford threw four touchdown passes, including two fourth-quarter hookups with Kenny Galladay. Wow, and they were excited on the radio about Kenny just a bit. leading the Detroit Lions to a comeback 35-23 win over the Arizona Cardinals. And now we welcome in Nick Shook. Brains and body. Nick Shook, as always who gave this game his undivided attention. Nick, we'll get to Detroit in a second, uh, but this felt like a worst-case scenario Sunday for Bruce Arians. David Johnson gets hurt, and we don't know how serious it is, but it doesn't seem slight, and Carson Palmer played like an old man. Yeah, uh, it was kind of a a little bit of a disaster scenario, especially in the second half of the Cardinals, because in the first half, you know, they had a little bit of an early lead. Uh, things weren't necessarily off the rails yet, but... Carson Palmer throws three interceptions, Oof. and and you you suffer injuries in multiple areas, and 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 then you end up blowing a lead that you had on the road. I mean, for a while it looked like the Cardinals were in control, and it all fell apart pretty quickly. Yeah. Twenty points given up in the final period, and and you yeah, I was watching this game. I wasn't like totally plugged in on, but I was checking in in the second half because it was a tight game uh, near the end, and then 
the Lions pulled away. But Palmer, and maybe he had this last year when he was playing well as well, but he kind of had that late period Marino look to him where he just wasn't fluid in his movements. And then when you, you throw the turnovers in there, all of a sudden it just looks like you're watching a guy that maybe – Maybe he's somebody to really be concerned about. Some Everyone gets one bad week, and week one you don't make too much of it. But I'm definitely like – my radar would be up as a Cardinals fan uh, another year later. He's kind of looked like that for a little bit of, of a while now. And, and yeah. it's not really encouraging to see him start the season still kind of looking like that. Uh, one of those interceptions wasn't as fall as a tit ball. Uh, but overall, not not not. You're right. You're, you're the late period Marino thing, spot on. Especially uh, Detroit taking the turnover battle four to one, mm. uh, major turnaround for the Lions as well. You got to give their defense a little credit. I wasn't expecting much out of their defense going no. into the season in general. Like how did how did they look? No, I think I think when we talked about the preview, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we, that's what we were worried about with them was well, they were, they're supposed to take a step back because they're they're injured, they're they're thin, you know, and so on and so forth. But they they looked pretty good, especially when they needed it. And I don't know if that's so much a reflection of Arizona not necessarily hitting on all cylinders and talking about, you know, Palmer not really looking the best, or if maybe they're going to surprise some people. They definitely forced the stops and turnovers they needed in the second half to fuel that comeback which then again was on the arm of Matt Stafford, who that took about a tale of two halves. The first half didn't look like, you know, Matt Stafford didn't look like the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL by a long shot, and then turns around and leads a, a few drives in the second half, hooking up with Kenny Galladay. He's found another receiver that he might be able to rely it's on. It's important. I mean, Dan, maybe an argument uh, to start the preseason, to start preparation for the for the campaign much later the way Detroit did, essentially oh! ignoring all of <laughs> Calm down. I mean, it was a good point by me, Greg. That it wasn't quite that good of a point. I Greg's loudness and his laughter. I <laughs> forgot what you said. You were saying, oh, so Detroit taking, you know. Yeah, I mean, they essentially it. said, listen, every 31 other teams get to work. We're going to do things on our own clock. And then you come out and you stamp the Cardinals in week right. one. Maybe, I would, they're, what, maybe they were so fresher. Maybe pro-senioritis. But also, yeah. like, there's also narratives all over the place. Last year when Carson Palmer was struggling, it was because he was throwing too much. He managed that, and now it still didn't work out. I no respect Carson Palmer. I, I think if you were ranking who had the most concerning, depressing, whatever you want to call it, week ones, the Cardinals have to be at or near the top of the list. To, to have a loss like this and then to lose David Johnson for what's reported to be either weeks or or up to half a season at this point because of the wrist injury. He, by the way, David Johnson was 11 for 23. He was active in the passing game, but he struggled to run the ball. Their left tackle got hurt in this game, DJ Humphreys. Like, that's a lot going wrong on, on that offense. As they a, were so reliant on David Johnson last year, too, which I, I understood he was a great fantasy find and an excellent player and one like a revolutionary multi-purpose threat, but I don't like any offense – that is so reliant on one player, and that looked like that to me with the Cardinals last year. And now, what happens? Now he's got yeah, he's gotten hurt in their last two games, the finale last year and the opener. Uh, just in terms of right now, where we're recording this on Sunday night here in LA, ESPN has him missing multiple weeks at a minimum and potentially half the season. PFT reported uh, that it has not been determined if he'll even miss time. So it's really all over the place. But you got to hope if you're the Cardinals. Uh, Johnson's still around. Hey, Nick, you want to stick around uh, for one more game? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. Jags showing blitz again. Let's see if they bring the house again. Yes, they do. It's an all-out blitz. Savage drops the throw. He said the ball is out again. That ball is out. Dante Fowler picks it up. 45, 40. Dante to the 30. Dante Fowler to the 15, to the 10, to the 5. <laughs> Touchdown. Touchdown, Jacksonville. Fowler has run it back. Oh, no. And the Jacksonville defense is running amok over the Houston offense. And guess who? Yannick Ngakwe, once again, but against a different guy. This time, Chris Clark, the left tackle. The chop swim by Ngakwe, and, that's and then fumble. knocks the ball out, and it's clearly a fumble. And once Dante Fowler gets it, he's got an entire Craig, Craig, what did you hear during the I'm clip? I'm worried about the cat that was stepped on in the well, middle of It sounded of that. a little bit like Brock Osweiler's <laughs> clip from last like, year, oh! slash a cat stepped on mid-body. My goodness, the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> set a franchise record with 10 sacks and forced four turnovers, chasing Tom Savage. <laughs> Tom Savage is real bad at football. Out of the uh. game and rolling to a 29-7 win over the anemic Houston Texans. Shook a lot of people, myself included, thought the Texans were well set up playing in front of a full house of resilient, is it Houstonians? Yeah. 
Yes, it is. But the old quarterback issue flared up on Bill O'Brien once more. As I watched most of the first half, and it just got worse and worse and uglier and uglier. I actually wondered how the Tom Savage's real drop would be used when breaking <laughs> down this game. Do you want to hear it again? Pleasantly surprised. All right, let's hear it again. Tom Savage is real bad at football. That's <laughs> the bad at football that part. Is, that really that is adds unfortunate. That's accurate, though. That's how he was. Oh, totally accurate. Yeah. That's how he was on Sunday. You know, I don't want to pin it all on him because I want to be a nice guy here. Houston's offensive line is, first off, they're one of the three cheapest units in the NFL. Mm. They looked like it on mm. Sunday. They struggled to protect him from either side. Calais Campbell had a field day in the first half. He had three and a half sacks, which uh, tied the franchise record for most in a game. In the first Not bad half. for a free agent pickup in the first game. In the first, yeah, first half. half. Or for the game. Dante Fowler was a, a wrecking crew on the other side by himself. Uh, and then Yannick Ngakwe, which I'm glad that uh, that play-by-play guy said his name because <laughs> I, I struggled to say his last <laughs> night in the entire game. He was also a force. That defense finally looked like it was supposed to look for the last two years. But when it comes to Tom Savage, my real problem with him is he's a statue in the pocket. And against pressure like that, that you can't survive that way. You, you can't. And it's also worth pointing out, Deshaun Watson came in, and yes, they had a touchdown drive right off the bat. But in the end, his numbers weren't any better. He actually averaged fewer yards per attempt. He was sacked four times and threw an interception, too. So... I agree with you, not not having seen the game in depth, though, that they have systemic problems that go beyond the quarterback, and they don't have a logical veteran quarterback that can fix it. I think it's so concerning if you're Houston because this, the game script here and what happened so early in the year is everything against what you talked about wanting to achieve all offseason with Tom Savage and, and the fact that the veterans were all into him and he was their unquestioned leader. And Bill O'Brien you know, pulls the plug. Midway through the first game of the year, very concerning. If On the flip side, if you're the Jaguars, you talked about we're going to run the ball 150 times a game and just hide Blake Bortles. <laughs> they did it. And you did it. And, and you, I would have thought the defense, even if it were quality, you would never be able to achieve that on offense, but they did. This is a great, this is a great road win. Uh, for Jacksonville, but I do want to see if this formula holds against the team and an offense that could actually move the ball. I hate to say, you know, to maybe burst your bubble, you yeah. expect it to maybe come. I think it's going to stick. You Leonard, think the Jaguars? I did Fournette look. Leonard Fournette looked like the pick, worth the pick. He was 100 yards. Everything you would expect from him. That was my NFL.com rookie of the year. You can find that on our site, NFL.com. <laughs> Shameless, Mark. Shameless. You can, well, you can also find uh, my Jaguars defense making the leap this year. I've, looking good so far. I've actually I've had, that, I've had that unpublished. but <laughs> And uh, Fournette, who caught three passes, was their second leading receiver, might have to continue to because Allen Robinson, it's confirmed by the Jaguars, mm. has an ACL injury. It's believed to be a torn ACL. They already were a little thin at receiver just in the passing game in general. That's a huge Ken loss. Leonard Fournette rushed the ball for 1,100 times this year. Stay healthy. <laughs> That's the question I have. Also, J.J. Watt left this game with an injury. Did he come back with, yeah, he with a finger issue? And, uh, and his brother outplayed him this week, and he was very Watt was very frustrated about his effort and the team's effort. I don't know. Listen, Bill, one thing about Bill O'Brien, I don't – and Wes – you know, is, is all over O'Brien on this and fairly so that he's very bad with the quarterback room. It, it's annoying to me that we, because we're so close to the game and covering the game, that we listen to three months of Tom Savage being pumped up as the guy. There was even some, you know, like Nuke Hopkins talking about how he's a franchise-type quarterback. And then two bad quarters, and he's banished, and I don't know if we're going to see him again barring an injury. I just don't know if that's as bad as he was, and I would have to see watch the game more closely. Is, is he a guy that should be pulled out of the game after you spent I, I, all this time talking yourself into him being a real option? I just wonder what sort of instability it creates in your quarterback room and to a wider degree in your locker room where you say, we're going to get behind this guy for all, the entire offseason and build him up, and then, and then in, in the minute one half goes bad, it's not entirely his fault, we change everything. That's a good defense. I am convinced that none of his teammates are worried about how he feels, and none of them are upset by him being benched in favor of Deshaun Watson. Because well, How do you mean? Because... Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage right now are on the same plane, except that Deshaun Watson has the mobility to escape the pass rush that he's inevitably going to be facing all year hmm. from well, this less than average line. We'll, we'll have an update on this by the time some people hear this, but this is a Thursday night game the Texans are playing this week against the Bengals. So can they... It's about as sexy as last year's Christmas Eve game between <laughs> all right, the two teams. Pipe, all right, all right. Uh, but <laughs> it's a fair point. Can they get Deshaun Watson ready on that short of a rest, like trying to avoid 0-2 it? 
Did you hear the Mark? Did you hear Greg the suit get upset yeah. that you said yeah. something I negative was, about? I was sort of slapped on the wrist. You must enjoy that game. It will be fun for you. <laughs> I'm looking, looking to move up that ladder. I'll be here on Thursday night. Dan will come back. We'll be doing the preview show. I, I'm hoping I'll watch it, game. but I don't. I like to discuss good football when I see it. How about that? Shook, nice work. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Appreciate it. Uh, we love having you here. Oh, I love being here. Where yeah, are you off to now? What is the rest of your workout night? number four? What time is it? Uh, I don't think I have time to make the gym. <laughs> We're gonna go watch more games today. There you go, Nick uh, Shook, signing off. Love us some Nick Shook. Let's move on. Cousins lines them up again. He's got Thompson to his right. Back again goes Cousins. He's hit. The football comes loose. It's picked up by Cox, and he is into the end zone. Now, is it a fumble or was his arm going forward? The signal is touchdown Eagles. Carson Wentz threw for 307 yards and two touchdowns, and the Eagles' defense did their job as well. The Eagles with a 30-17 win over a sloppy Redskins team. Greg, Carson Wentz looked like a guy ready to take the next step in year two, while Kirk Cousins and the Redskins just looked ineffective. Their offense didn't make you feel any better about the preseason you saw, but what really stood out to me was something we've talked about this offseason, which is by far the best group in this game was Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and Timmy Jernigan. They won this game. They were dominating it early. They are getting all over Cousins, making it very hard to do anything. They end up winning the game with the strip sack late. But even before that, they were hitting him. They were sacking him. They're getting tackles for loss in the, in the Redskins running game. And Carson Wentz, he had his ups and downs. But I think if the Eagles can have that group up front each and every week, they're going to have a chance to win a lot of games. Yeah, it's unusual to look at two teams where what we saw in August translates almost yeah. entirely to week one. And that that unit for Philly dominated throughout the entire preseason. And the question for me was, when the lights go on, would we see a Redskin team under Jay Gruden that suddenly knew how to run the ball, that suddenly the chemistry between Cousins and Terrell Pryor and others would be there. And Pryor had a better game than we've seen you know, during any time with the Redskins, but this offense concerns me. And, and even with his better numbers, he there was a, a couple deep shots early, one which he dropped, one which the it wasn't synced up. Uh, him and Cousins, they weren't on the same page. So you saw that early kind of chemistry issues plague them that they were worried about. And Josh Dotson just wasn't even on the field that much. Hey, they need him to be out there a lot, and they used him sparingly. I don't know if they're sending a message or they just don't trust him to stay healthy right now. I mean, Cousins, on top of being sacked four times and having his own issues, loses two fumbles. I mean, it, you want to look at a team in the in the NFC East that, Greg, you called the Eagles to win this division. I mean, they have they have some nasty elements to them. I think Jim Schwartz is a coordinator, coordinator of the year type candidate. I think, yeah. I mean, this was a bad, bad start for Washington. But Cousins is a guy that people like to count him out, and then all of a sudden he'll get no, hot. I'm not. I'm I think not he's going to be okay. I it's think this early. is a bad start. And, yeah, they, they clearly have things they have to work out, and I think Philadelphia, uh, you know, benefited from that. Well, real quick, Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson Wentz, it's, I think it's okay to get excited about Carson Wentz. I don't know if he's like a top 10 quarterback this year or whenever, but he's fun to watch. I mean, that one touchdown to Beautiful. Aguilar, that's Randall Cunningham stuff. I mean, that is, that's rare. We talked about it, a very different player, Patrick Mahomes, in the preseason. There aren't many people that can pull off a play that Carson Wentz did to Aguilar. And we talked about Aguilar a lot this offseason. Yep. Ended up having six catches for 86 yards. He had that touchdown. He also had a couple key third-down conversions. I, I think the Eagles really want Carson Wentz to start coming up with some of those improv, improvisational plays. And I think they have the receivers this year, even though he missed some passes, that can do the scramble drill a little better with him to, to come up with those plays. One injury here. Ronald Darby, the cornerback, oh, acquired yeah. in a trade from the Bills last month, suffered a, a pretty bad-looking ankle injury, dislocated it, tendon damage. Uh, you could expect him to miss many weeks and perhaps all of the weeks in the season. We'll see how that plays off. That's but huge. I mean, there's a reason they they made a big trade for him and gave up a real assets for him. Well, he was looking very good for them, too. And, he, and they were really thin at that position. It's a huge loss. Let's move back to the AFC. Dalton, empty backfield in the shotgun. Ravens bring a blitz, pass deflected, floats high into the air, and it is intercepted at the 10-yard line and taken down inside the 5-yard line as the Ravens get their third pick of the game. 
Terrell Suggs had the tip and Lardarius Webb with the pick. I don't think I've ever seen a ball tipped that high before. That must have gone up 20 feet straight up in the air, and nobody knew where it was except Ladarius, who caught it in a crouch like a catcher would. The Ravens' defense was as good as advertised on Sunday, picking off Andy Dalton four times and forcing a fumble and a 20-0 victory, folks. A shutout victory over the Cincinnati Bengals in front of a frustrated home crowd at Paul Brown Stadium. Um, on Thursday, on Thursday's preview show, which again, you better be listening. Listen to that preview show. Dropping nuggets. You're going to learn something. It's not just about the flagship show. <laughs> on Thursday, we <laughs> talked about this Ravens season rising and falling on their defense, channeling its dominant ways of old. So far, so good. As for the Bengals, ugh. Oh. Is that gross? I mean, I think that's Don't. appropriate if it sounds Don't gross. ever do it again. <laughs> the offense deserved every boo that rained down on the field. Let, let's be honest, because you open your season against a division rival, and you get shut out uh, after people like me and many others that uh, that stuck up for Cincinnati said last year was a Murphy's Law type of season. Now they're healthy. Now they're going to get things together. Everybody that had concerns about this team, whether it was the offensive line or whether Andy Dalton was good enough or what have you, all that stuff played out in a nightmarish form for Cincinnati. I'm concerned about a Bengals offensive line that allows five sacks, um, an overall effort that has Dalton lose a fumble, throw four picks, and the guy who most impressed me in the preseason, Joe Mixon, rushes for nine yards off eight carries. I'm sure that I'm sure the narrative in terms of having a running game went out the window pretty early here, but I I remember Dan, you and I watching that Browns Bengals game from 2014 where Dalton utterly melt, melted down in a primetime loss to Cleveland. I don't know if he's had a game this bad since then. He That's a good point. Two very, very bad plays. I mean, he had a bad game in general. Uh, but early in the game, when things were under control, they're in the red zone, and he floats a pass into coverage on third and seven. Uh, his receiver was well covered, but it's just a throw you can't be making, especially if you've been a starter for seven years, as Dalton has, and was picked off by C.J. Mosley and run back 25 yards. And then in the uh, after they had fallen behind, um, I want to say it was in the third quarter, the start of the third quarter, Cincinnati gets an interception, gets set up. You see that the crowd getting into the game. Uh, Cincinnati makes a couple plays, gets into the red zone, and then, uh, and then Dalton rolls to his right, doesn't sense the pressure, takes a sack, fumbles the ball, loses it, and then at that point – all the airs out of that stadium, and they never really threatened again after that. It was basically, if you are not an Andy Dalton fan, this was the exact type of game that reinforces all the notions you have. Well, the the, the box score in a lot of these games offensively in week one was ugly. It's usually offense is ahead of defense early in the season. Uh, there's, there's higher scoring because the weather and all that. Both of these teams were under 300 yards. The Bengals were at two, 220, which is – Really, really low. That's about where the Seahawks were, too. You don't see that too often in the NFL. The Ravens weren't even much better, but you, you should give the defense – we should give the defense uh, the most credit because they're coming into this week looking like one of the deepest, baddest units around, and they come and pitch a shutout, which you just don't see in the NFL too much. Terrell Suggs, I don't know – I don't know what he – does that he what never gets saying? worse like he no I'm just saying he he never gets worse he gets better right he's there James Harrison like on that front right Brandon Williams uh had a big game Michael Pierce is a nose tackle like they're they're kind of big and nasty up front and then I think they translate really well to today's NFL where there's a lot of substitutions and and depth where they can just have guys out there for 20 30 40 snaps and they're just they're shuttling in and out and they're doing a great job. I like that you go out and sign Tony Jefferson and he had a big game and that secondary which was a nightmare a couple seasons ago totally shored up at this point and Baltimore could win games based on their defense alone. We talked about them winning games 12 to 9, well 20 to nothing works. Yeah. <laughs> Two more notes about the quarterback play. Dalton Against the Ravens, yikes! I mean, he's now had in nine. He's had nine three interception games in his career. Four of them against the Ravens, uh, and he's had one other four pick game uh, that was in 2013, also against the Ravens. And Joe Flacco, on the other hand, no Fluco, no Fluco. Uh, not a great performance. He didn't have to do much. Nine of 17, 121 yards. Uh, he did throw a pick, but it was almost a perfect situation because 
you, you're kind of working Flacco back into the mix. He was not going to carry you on a bad back this week. You let the defense do it, and maybe that's going to be the order of the day in Baltimore. It's it's going to be a lot of ugly games. Danny Woodhead uh, suffered a non-contact injury. We'll see how long he's like out there. Like a hamstring, which was a problem this summer as well. Yeah, was not was barely, that hurts them. was barely on the field for them. He was also very active in that drive before he got hurt. He looked like he was going to be a big part of the offense, and – now he's got to get Big, big to off. get a road division victory. Those it feels like those count double. Well, in a division yeah. that's going to accept the top three teams can be separated by two games in that division. Hey, Ravens, great job. Uh, let's stay in the AFC North and move on to Believe Land. A clean snap. Right foot. A kick is blocked. The Steelers block it. It's loose and bounding in the end zone. The Steelers fall upon it in the Browns' end zone for a touchdown. Tyler Matakevich shot in. And they get the clean swat. Anthony Ciccolo able to pounce upon it. And the Pittsburgh Steelers strike pay dirt without their offense even getting on the field as the former Temple Owl blocks it. And Ciccolo gets the six. The Steelers got in front with a huge special teams play. And Ben Roethlisberger threw two touchdown passes to tight end Jesse James. The result, a 21-18 win uh, over the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Mark uh, you know, downstairs, you didn't seem to put m- much stock in the idea of a moral victory. But given the Steelers, all they can handle counts as progress, right? A weird, a very weird game. And Greg made the point on Thursday's show that if there was a week to play Pittsburgh, it might be this one because of the kind of lack of time they spent together on offense in the preseason. And it really played out that way in the first half. I saw Cleveland do a couple things. They basically had a couple sa- they had safeties just hanging back almost playing like a prevent-type defense Mm. that was sort of forcing Big Ben to watch the field, and they were throwing crazy blitz packages at him left and right. And you take away that blocked punt for a touchdown, this game is 18-14. And here's the thing. If you look at what Pittsburgh was able to accomplish and not accomplish on offense, it was a massive, like, output by Antonio Brown, who blew up right before the half and never, never settled down after that. But Le'Veon Bell, on the field for the majority of the game, was bottled up from start to finish. Mm. And really, honestly, Cleveland came close to taking this thing. It's just that they don't really seem to have the weapons themselves to go and take advantage of a game where Pittsburgh's not on top of its own ass. Well, it's another game. Neither one of these teams went over 300 yards. It's, it that was is, a that weird a, game. That is a def- There's been a lot of defense-dominated yeah. weeks. Uh, Antonio Brown, 11 for 182, and he made the big play of the game at the end 226 to play he he crosses across the entire field uh leaps for a ball in coverage and that's why he's arguably the best wide receiver in the league he comes down with the ball and that really sealed the game uh mark what were your thoughts on deshaun kaiser in his first start he did uh throw a couple touch or have score a couple touchdowns he seemed to do some good things it was I I cannot th- a cleveland is not won an opener since 2004 which everyone knows at this point but it was the most promising. I was not aware of that. Actually. Really, I feel like it's just been hammered into people's minds. <laughs> I, I, it's been into, it's hammered, hammered you, into mine. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Jeff Garcia of all people that won that game back then, way back when. Yeah. I have not seen a more promising rookie debut by a Browns quarterback. That includes Tim Couch. That includes anyone dating back to the return of the league in 1999. It was not perfect. Mm. They did not protect. What him did you well. like about it? What I liked about it was that. Sacked seven times. Some of them were his own fault, but just kept getting back up, just like he did in the preseason. I think that he's got a demeanor about him on the field where he doesn't freak out in the pocket. He looks off his first receiver. He'll find his second. He showed chemistry with Corey Coleman and a few other Browns receivers as well. I honestly think that there's something to take away from this game that you can grow on, and I do think he's going to have a couple of games where he will surprise people and knock out a favored team or two. And he might not have the crazy pressure. I know it's not a good team. But the crazy pressure that a lot of Browns quarterbacks have had because I agree with you. Can his offensive line play better? You would think that they can play even better. Can the defense be better? I know it's only one week, but they gave up fewer yards, Mark, in this game than they did in any game of all of last season. They also gave up fewer yards. The Steelers had fewer yards than almost any one of their games. It would have been their second or third worst game for the Steelers' offense. So that's that's. That's big. They only yeah. gave up 21 points or less one time all of last season. So it was an embarrassing defense last year, and this was not embarrassing but uh, by any stretch. No, they, they look different. They're actually tackling people and stopping the run, which was not present last year. Um, two more notes. 
they have to clean that up with Kaiser. If he's going to get sacked seven times a game, he's Absolutely. not going to stay healthy. We've seen this with Cleveland with injuries at the quarterback position. We already know their depth. Well, job. he also puts it's himself news he, he puts himself hurt. in danger. He had two runs today where he got hit heavily. Oh, no. When you've got to you've got to be sliding. And finally, um, T.J. Watt, two sacks and an interception in his debut. So uh, the the big summer hype seems to be paying off. And Big Ben does improve to twenty one and two against the Indi- uh the Indians against the Browns in his career. Wasn't there a TJ Watt sandwich prop or something? Did West throw that out there that he was going to get more than JJ Watt? Am I crazy? I uh, sounds crazy because I don't remember that. Maybe that's a another podcast you do, Greg. I don't know. Let's move on. Newton with his arms outstretched, fists balled up indicating a possible play change. Single high safety look San Fran. Newton from a muddy pocket flicks a pass caught Left side, deep down the sideline. Russell Shepard breaks away and will score a touchdown. Carolina Panthers, 40 yards. Cam Newton to Russell Shepard. That's called a bus route. Shepard's so far, so run. good for Cam Newton and a surgically repaired shoulder. He threw touchdown passes. He threw two touchdown passes, and the Panthers' defense did the rest in a 23-3 win over the 49ers in Kyle Shanahan's head coaching debut. Mark, this was supposed to be a season of renewed hope by the Bay. That may still be the case, but Sunday just felt like more of the same for a scuffling organization. Well, they ran into an excellent defense, and it was the kind of performance by Carolina that will always expose a quarterback like Brian Hoyer, who was not protected well, but also creates his own issues. And, you know, it, 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 he does. He does. And I was like, having flashbacks listening to Mark watch this game, and he was just like, oh, Hoyer. Well, it's Hoyer, just, not another Hoyer. It was a lot of Hoyer. It was yeah. frustrating. Although I found Cam Newton to be, I think Panthers fans would have been frustrated by his performance, especially in the first half. He seemed to warm up as the game went on, and the entire offense sort of came into its own later on. But I think that happened against a 49ers team that was sort of broken by the end of the third quarter. This game felt like it was six hours long. Let me note that. But Newton, to me, he missed a wide-open Ed Dixon in the end zone. He had a couple throws, one to Kelvin Benjamin, a deep shot that was intercepted uh, in, a, in a way, a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful interception by uh, Jaquiski Tart, Jaquiski Tart, the, oh, yeah, the 49ers safety, one of the plays of the day. I don't, Cam, Cam, to me, was not all there at all. He moved well, but he has not seen the field perfectly yet and it's going to take a few more weeks to play the Bills next week. Had McCaffrey look in his debut. He seemed to be a big part of the offense as we expected. No, not a breakout effort by any means. Yeah, I think he was – I would say he was largely bottled up, maybe strong, but he didn't have one of these sort of flashy 45-yard breakaway runs. But it is so clear that he is going to have a massive workload from week to week. But along with that, same with Jonathan Stewart. I think they're going to find a way to use them both. And there was one screen They ran the ball pass. 40 times. They, oh, I think they love to do that in this. And, they, and there was a screen pass to Jonathan Stewart that was successful in my mind specifically because McCaffrey was on the field and causing concerns for that defense. Shaq Thompson, they used as a pass rusher, had a big game uh, overall. If they could add him to Davis and Keekley, that's the best linebacker group in the league. And then Wes Horton and Lodalele and – Peppers and Kwan Short, they they might not need Cam Newton to be crazy good right away. I think they've got the defense and running formula that Ron Rivera wants. I, yeah, I didn't really think this much, but it kind of maybe just seeing it in action in Week One. I kind of like Carolina Carolina's a bounce back team this season. If the defense is going to be good and Cam is healthy and McCaffrey's going to break out and have big games, and you've got you've they look got, good. Yeah, the you've, parts are there. You've got a Hall of Fame linebacker, as long as he stays healthy, at his absolute apex right in the middle of that thing. Uh, There you go. Let's uh, move on to, oh, yeah, baby, it's the rebuilding bowl. DeMarco, the fullback, is in, and they will flank him out to the left side. McCoy, the tailback, first and goal from the two. Tyrod going to throw it, fires it short, caught into the end zone. Touchdown, Andre Holmes. Holmes to the house. Touchdown, Buffalo. They came from the right side, Murph, so they faked the hand up. Go play action pass Charles Clay to the back of the end line, which threw the coverage. And here comes Andre Holmes underneath. Tyrod buys time with his legs and just delivers a floater to Andre Holmes. He walks in untouched. Touchdown, Buffalo. Tyrod Taylor threw two touchdown passes, and the Bills defense had no trouble stifling the Jets. A 21-12 win at Orchard Park. Sean McDermott wins in his head coaching debut in the Jets. Uh, looked comfortable in what should be a familiar role for them this season. Uh, in truth, 
uh, gentlemen. What does that mean? They looked comfortable. Uh, as a loser, playing second uh, fiddle. They were too. just like, oh, that that went about as. No, it's like they. they okay. I'll tell you what. They played hard for Todd Bowles. You could tell this was a team that uh, wasn't in there mailing in their effort. But it just, it just, there's so much against this team. They just don't have the talent on the field, and you see it even against a Bills team that we know uh, isn't going anywhere. Because in truth, a, a nine point defeat is a small victory for the Jets. They were dominated by the Bills. Uh, they nearly doubled up uh, the Jets in total yards. Uh, if the Bills were a little more uh, efficient as a team, this is probably you know a, a 30 to 10 type game. Uh, but they got it done anyway. So you know, in terms of takeaways, I I guess I'll I think it's time to throw it to my dad, Keith Hansis, who is uh, you know if you're new to the podcast, uh, my dad is a Bronx native who. Uh, if you grew up in the Bronx in the 1950s, uh, you were definitely a Yankees fan, and you were probably a Giants fan who also played at um, Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. Uh, but my dad was brought to the Jets by Joe Namath and, and his flair, and he drafted me into this. He got Super Bowl three. I never <laughs> got any of that. Uh, but uh, I've, I've been stuck with this team. I'm now passing it down to my two sons. I don't know why, uh, but I am. But Keith's been there through all the ups and downs, mostly down. So let's check in uh, with Dad. His name is Keith. He's Dad's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he going to say about the game today? What is he going to say about the game today? The Jets bills this afternoon, uh... Bowles had the Jets playing hard, but uh, Taylor and McCoy were just too much for the Jet defense. Uh, the Jet offense was terrible. Uh, McGowan is, is uh, accurate for short passing, but unable to throw deep, uh, partly due to his personnel. On a bright side, Kirst was, uh, was pretty good at wide receiver and stepped in there and looked good. Uh, my question on the offense also was, where was Blau Powell? Forte seems a little slow in the offensive line. Uh, didn't seem to be able to open up any holes either, so uh, wasn't a very good effort uh, offensively by the Jets. Hmm. Thanks. Bye. I like that he thanked us at the end. Yeah, well, we should be thanking him. This is if you're a, if you're a stringer covering a sport, <laughs> this is a tough assignment he has. This I season. know. I feel like that was it. Sounded later in the season than week one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he's already been through the preseason. That's been long enough. I if think. you're Listen, if you're a Jets fan, yeah, you had 5-11, and 11, which was really a worse season than that. The 5-11 and 11 looks kind. This offseason aged you, just how yes. yeah. utterly uh, depressing it was as you sunk deeper and deeper into this long rebuild. A bloodletting. And now the season arrives, and it starts with a, a, a pretty decisive loss against a bad team. Uh, to the point uh, that my dad made, about the running game, I don't really know. What, I understand he had guaranteed money coming. I just don't understand Matt Forte's role on this team. Uh, he did, he just looked maybe two steps slow, uh, and and the offense in general, 15 carries for 38 yards, two well, and a half a pop's not going to get 214 yards. I mean, so many of these games are just crazy. Very yards. strange. Shot out of like an early 1970s cannon. But why why is Josh McCown throwing the ball 39 times in a game that was close up until? the end score-wise. Uh, I see I'm watching the game and I didn't see it as some type of horrific breakdown in play calling I think they they were playing from behind the entire game and okay just trying to get things going on the uh Buffalo side of the ball I thought Tyrod Taylor looked good again I don't quite get the hate that Tyrod Taylor gets because every time I see him play the Jets he makes plays uh he makes plays with his feet he can make throws I know he's not he's not Steve Young in terms of accuracy but the guy makes every time I see him play he makes a couple guys miss, and that's why he's the best running quarterback in football. I I think if you're a Bills fan, I know it's the Jets, but you have to be really encouraged after the preseason that they had. For all the t- troubles that the Jets have and everyone makes fun of them, that's mostly on offense. I'm not saying they're a great defense, but they're not a t- – they're not an embarrassing defense. And Tyrod, after the preseason that he had and the concussion, to go out there and lead a team to 400 yards of offense, to throw for eight yards per attempt, and for the team to run for 190 yards, this looks like out of the 
19, yeah, 2016 Bills playbook where they're the number one rushing team in the league. Jets missed Sheldon Richardson, who they traded. Um, it's encouraging. That's all I'm saying. Well, they'll get Carolina next week. Little, Let's see how that goes. you got to feel a little bit of hope, though, coming out of that. Like, okay. This is a perfect game to start at home against the Jets, sure. let's face it. But sure. the Buffalo running game is the real deal. LeSean McCoy looks like as good as he ever was. I wonder uh, if they're truly in it to lose it like the Jets with a rebuild. If McCoy has some trade value uh, before he gets hurt, he's so he's so. I don't good. think they're trying to lose. I really don't. Yeah, maybe they're not. And, That's for sure. And then one other interesting thing is Mike Tolbert had a really beefy role in the running game. He had 12 carries. He scored a touchdown. So hmm. the Bills looked uh, very capable against the Jets. Let's see what happens when they're against, uh, you know, better opponents. Uh, let's move on. Here comes the pressure for the Rams. Tolzien gets it out. Far side. Tremaine Johnson picks it off. 38, 20, 15, 10, pick six, L.A. New season, new L.A. Rams. Jared Goff passed for a career high, 306 yards and a touchdown. It's his first one as an NFL starter. Maron, uh, the L.A. Rams embarrassed the Indianapolis Colts, 46-9 at the Coliseum. Ouch. Sean McVay could not have asked for a better debut as a head coach. And Scott Tolzien. Yes. Scott Tolzien. Start. Tolzien. <laughs> Starting <laughs> NFL quarterback. Oh, boy. Actually somehow went worse than expected uh, for old Scott, huh, Greg? Yeah, the early pick six. I mean, the sacks, everything was bad. But you got to give credit to the Rams. And I could hear the cheering all the way from the from the newsroom. Chris Wesseling over at his Paramore's abode. And Paramore getting, Manor. They're getting excited, and people say, oh, well, it's just Scott Tolzien and the Colts. Well, you know what? Last year's Rams weren't blowing out anyone. The last game oh. we saw like this in the Coliseum, it was the Rams that are getting blown out by the Atlanta Falcons. And what's a good sign of a solid team? You blow out the bad teams. I think this team is exciting. I even smell a little whiff of Team of ATL with this team. Hello. Because I think Wes is probably getting into him, and I think Wade Phillips – Gets me going a little bit, and it's just that they've they've <laughs> In been a lot so, of ways. They've yeah, been we, so bad to watch that. And once you and excited. once Greg and Wes have decided on the team of ATL, I there's no turning back. So that's the that's part three. I of have that. it. Right. Uh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I am totally with you in the sense that, yeah, the Colts are dreadful. And I don't want to hear it, by the way. I, I, subjected on this podcast and elsewhere, uh, oh, the Colts are making all the right moves. I know Andrew Luck is a huge, huge missing piece of the pie uh, puzzle here, but he, you know, this team looked like they were worse than the Jets today, and it wasn't necessarily close, but the Rams taking care of business, they don't look this doesn't look like a fluky win for the Rams. They look like very much like a good team. And a lot of that well, to me was Jared Goff looked like a real quarterback. And for the first time post Jeff Fisher, because it never happened during Jeff Fisher's reign in that in that city. Cooper Cup, Sammy Watkins, you're adding players around a young quarterback. That Cooper Cup is a, the absolutely perfect security blanket who makes in, some incredible catches today, and he looked just like the guy we saw all August. And he is good enough where Goff trusts him to just kind of throw the ball up, and Cup is making uh, a contested catch, or he's making a one-handed catch. I think he could lead this team in receiving. He did it uh, on Sunday, and they're just the creativity and the way that they're coaching Goff. Like there's one play where they're, they're faking an end around and then they're faking something else. And then suddenly you got a wide open receiver in the middle of the field because of all that action. And it gets an easy defined throw for Goff that he can execute. He was very solid today. I am concerned. I, I I'm just looking at the box score. I'm going to go watch this game later, but Todd Gurley, this looks like another nightmare scenario. 19 carries for 40 yards, 2.1. Is it? Is there a mirage there? Is there something else attached to that? That's a lot of carries for not a lot of yards. Yeah, early in, you know, a lot of those poor carries were in the first, second half when they kind of knew that they were running, especially in the third quarter. But yeah. I wouldn't say that he stood out in any particular way early in the game either. He just was kind of a workhorse. He did catch the ball a lot, 56 yards. You know, he has to show that he can be special, but I think other guys on the team showed it. Robert Quinn, who Phillips talked about as DeMarcus Ware-like uh, in terms of the role and the, the speed that he could have, he looked like he was back. And this front seven without Aaron Donald really just made it impossible for the Colts. And my last thought in this game, Chuck Pagano, come back to us. 
I, I don't want to say there's a hot butt involved with this guy, but one week in. But I thought it was so emblematic of um, my feelings about this guy. They're down 10 nothing in the first quarter. Uh, they get a play. Marlon Mack um, should have a touchdown where he, get, he clearly stays in bounds, hits the pylon, uh, scores. He gets ruled erroneously out of bounds. Instead of taking a look at it, challenging it, and getting seven points, he rushes his team to the line. Uh, they do a running play that loses yardage. They do another running play that loses yardage. And then on third down at the goal line, they have Scott Tolzien throw, and he very nearly throws another interception. It was a perfect, Should have been picked off. It yeah. was a perfect microcosm mm. of Chuck Pagano as a flawed head coach to me because you have to have seven points in that spot, and you take it away from the kid, Mac. Feels like an L.A.-based, you know, honorage to Jeff Fisher. <laughs> a nod to what Fisher did with that team for years. Ugh, let's move on. Oh, and one more thing about that Rams win, guys. Daddy locked it up. <laughs> oh, oh, good job, Dan. Whatever. Dan, an excellent job by you. Yeah, well, you know, maybe you should try it next week, Mark. Didn't work out so good for you this week. Maybe I should have doubled up with you on that lock, it, lock up. I didn't like that strategy by you. You we'll should worry about we'll see lock, how it works out. Uh, doubling up a lock. It doesn't matter. On to Sunday night. Jason Witten. Dak Prescott's touchdown pass to Jason Witten, all reliable, was really all the Cowboys needed on Sunday night football. The Giants didn't show up without Odell Beckham. Uh, offense could not do anything. Uh, and when I say they can't do anything, 223 yards of total offense. There's that 200 number again, boys. The final score, 19-3, to a uh, easy victory uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Mark Sessler, who moved to 1-0, and if you're a Giants fan, you have to be upset that the team didn't compete without its best player. And if you're a Cowboys fan, hey, you check a win against the Giants, which you didn't have one of last year. Yeah, I mean, this is a Cowboys team that we just spent the entire offseason in panic mode over their defense. <laughs> That's a good point. And suddenly, you're the New York Giants, with or without Odell Beckham, a three-point stinker, and all the same issues as last year that I saw. A running game that you cannot count on on any level, putting everything on Eli Manning to handle when Brandon Marshall is your leading receiver in theory tonight. Give me a break. Well, and Brandon... What, Carrie's coming after me this year? You can't trust <laughs> Carrie. You don't know where <laughs> she's coming from. I, I like what, that. I, I like this trend. going on, dude. I, well, we... I, Mark almost – we almost lost Mark by the end of last season, so I talked to Carrie, so let's mix it up. Carrie famously <laughs> rude and interrupting, and, and I can accept that. Brandon Marshall only had two targets until a last meaning, meaningless garbage time drive, but he was hardly the only problem there. Eli Manning wasn't protected well. They, don't, they didn't have a great power running game. You have to give the Cowboys' defense, though, some credit. This wasn't a defense that we thought – was going to be able to just shut down just about any team. And Sean Lee, it's a reminder when he's healthy and flying around those pass patterns and just making life difficult for opposing quarterbacks, opposing running backs, what a difference maker he can be. Eli Manning finished in the Gabbard zone just about 5.7 yards per attempt. Paul Perkins, who you know a lot of people talk themselves into in fantasy drafts as an option, maybe he will be, but not tonight. His long rush was three yards. Uh, Brandon Marshall, yes, that one catch comes in garbage time. And you're, you're saying to yourself, if you're a Giants fan right now, you're saying, Odell Beckham, I know he's our best player, but again, it, it hammers home for a team that hasn't scored more than 20 points in seven games now. Seven straight. Yeah. Seven straight games dating back to last December. Uh, there's something wrong with your offense fundamentally if your best player walks out and then you just got nothing. And Marshall was supposed to have a chance to step up today and he disappeared. Yeah, and uh, on the flip side, in Dallas, Des Bryant was largely kept out of the game until late, late when he had a, a 35-yard grab at one point. Nine targets, two catches. I mean, we knew that was a possibility with New York's secondary, but it wasn't as if Dallas had everyone operating at you know high-octane pace either. No, I think Dak Prescott had some really mature moments. He 
he was going against what I believe is one of the best secondaries, one of the best defense in the league. If you're the Giants, you have to be happy. If you can keep the Cowboys to 19 points. They did their job. Yeah. You know, they, they did their job. But the, the Giants offense on the flip side, it really was a theme. And I suspect it'll be a one-week blip. But I just went and I crunched the numbers, Daniel, <laughs> while we're doing this. Nice. Half of the league was under 300 yards this week. Woo. Only one team in the league. All of last season averaged under 300 yards. That was Jeff Fisher's Rams. So for whatever reason, half the league this week were like the 2016 Rams. I don't think that'll keep up. I don't know. I don't even want to have well, a theory I think about probably, it. It just re- seems random. I have a theory. I think over the offseason, teams got together and said, how do we maximize our operation? We do what Jeff Fisher, who was taken out of the league last year, we're going to do what he does on offense. That's the new mode. And all, yeah, all this the- is the new football. The Je- strange, strange it's the idea. Jeff Fisher era in the NFL. Um, yeah, we, all this talk. Oh, we can't wait to see all the celebrations this year with the new relaxed rule. Well, nobody scores touchdowns anymore, so you don't get any more <laughs> celebrations. You're done. Fans? Very grim. Put that on a, a, a T-shirt. Slogan for the league. Monday night will save us. Love those matchups. Think we'll get some good games. Yeah, so, so we have two more games to play. Uh, the Chargers at Denver and the Saints at Minnesota. The next time you hear from us will be on Tuesday. We'll we'll recap those games and have some more fun. Uh, Connie Fox will be back with us. Um, so uh, that takes us to the end of our first uh, Sunday show, the flagship show. Mm-hmm. So thank you to everyone. Post-show grade. For listening. You know, Post-show grade. Got to knock. Oh, I should, before I say that, just because Wes isn't here, and just like I had the honor of uh, doing the top of the show after a Patriots meltdown, uh, Wes not getting a chance to go crazy about Eli. Uh, let me just do a quick Wes. Eli Manning stinks. He's the worst. You take away his best player, he's exposed. He is a terrible quarterback. <laughs> Love you, Chris Wesley. So I gave him what he needed. I'm his voice right now. It was like he was in the room. I'm sure Wes feels completely validated by that. All right, we'll be back on uh, uh, Tuesday with our video show. Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm. Uh, Nick Shook, what a body. Uh, the old boss and loose cannon behind the glass till Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.